Thanks for listening to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, great dancing today. Woo, I was working yeah. it today. 50 some odd episodes and you're still doing it. It's still, still, <laughs> it, it still surprises me and it's, I still get enjoyment out of it every single time. 500 episodes. <laughs> I will still be doing my lousy dance. <laughs> That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That's going to be like 10 years from now. We, we, we got this. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue on. Continue forth. Nah, well, that's what's going like to be interesting is what is going to be yeah. the new dance every year that I need to learn for the next that's 10 true. years. That's true. It's funny. My son, the other day, he was uh, looking back. We were looking back at some old um, videos and he had this video. He always thought this was such a cool uh, dance that his, that his kindergartner teacher made up. The kindergarten teacher made up this dance and he looks at it now and he's like, hey, that's just the Macarena. <laughs> well, yes, you know, it's kind of like fashion, right? I mean, you look That's back true. at the fashion five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you go, what were people thinking? I know, right? And when, <laughs> when you go back I, and look well, at my dance, I can do that from, from my 10 photos. years from now, yeah. you're going to go, yeah. what were you doing, Greg? What right. <laughs> yeah, we got to start recording the video. I mean, we, we got to start working on that. That's that's coming soon, people. Coming soon. We're going to do that at some point. <laughs> so uh, I had, I got to tell you today, Greg, uh, I did a stand-up meeting with a group, a new group that I'm leading, and they have never done a stand-up meeting before. Really? I, I, I explained the rules. I did the whole, you know, hey, this is going to be 15 minutes. And and by the way, no sitting. That's why we call it a stand-up. So it's fast and we go through it. And we went through, you know, and, and, and did it all, did the whole, you know, writing down everything. And at the end, they were all jazzed up. It was great. It was like, it was so much fun. And then taking like the, um, you know, the blockers, writing down what right. their blockers were and then right. turning that into a to-do list for me. Yeah. They're like, oh man, this guy's here to actually help us, not to actually just get to like done, punish us right? for for you know whatever. You know, it's like I'm here to to remove those blockers and help them, and it was so much fun. So I am jazzed up today as well. Oh, that sounds good. I mean, I, I'm really uh, excited for you that you know your first stand up meeting with the new company went so well. That's promising. Yeah, yeah, no, it it was it was fantastic, and every, you know, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that continues. We'll see how uh, stand up meeting number two <laughs> goes tomorrow. It could always change. <laughs> I'm sure it'll go well. So uh, I, I'm excited that I did this kind of you know leadership thing today, and then tonight we get to talk about leadership. I know. I love. I, that. I love talking about leadership because it really can be put towards so many aspects of both business and just outside of business as well, too. So every time exactly. we, we have that discussion about leadership, I learn something and I try to implement something. So I'm excited about our conversation tonight. As am I. And I hope our guest is as well. He's the CEO of Hunkins Leadership Group, an author of a book called Cracking the Leadership Code. Allah, did I say it right? Ah, I, I, it so I, I well. worked on it so well. Allah. Hunkins? He's pretty good. Hunkins. All right. See, I messed up the last name because I was so focused on the first name to get it right. <laughs> thank you so, for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Well, uh, leadership is, is like, as we said, one of our favorite topics. And what I like about your book that we'll get into in a minute is you're going to reveal the three secrets. And, and I'm, I hope you'll reveal those on this show. 
but uh, I'm sure you'll you'll go into more <laughs> you know yeah. detail in the book. But we'll reveal those on the show later. But yeah. uh, tell us a little about yourself. Well, sure, yeah. And first, thanks again for having me. And I just got to second what Greg said about leadership applying to both business and personal life, because my definition of leadership is all about any time that any of us are trying to get anything done with someone, and that someone could be just us, right? Sometimes the hardest person for me to lead is myself in the morning, yeah. um, getting out of bed. <laughs> um, it's So it's it's really that it's something that we're doing every day. So yeah, about me, I have been in this field of leadership development professionally for about 26 years now, which is a little scary to think about mm -hmm. how quickly time goes <laughs> by. And uh, yeah, I really got started in this because I've always really been interested in people and uh, you know, what makes people tick? Why do they do what they do? Um, when I was in undergrad in school, I went to a liberal arts college. I studied a little bit. I dabbled in a little of everything, psychology and theater, and I ended up graduating and not knowing what I was going to do. But I was really attracted to theater. Um, I started acting um, and I had been a violinist in high school. I actually went to the High School of Music and Art in New oh, York cool. City. Like if you know the movie Fame, that's where I yeah. went to high school. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's something about the collective of performing arts. There's something about the the experience that, you know, whenever you go to a concert or a play or a musical, like it just transcends, you know, it's hard to explain in words, except you have to go and do that. Yeah. And for me, you know, I got involved. So I, after school, I ended up getting a graduate degree from an acting school. I got an MFA in theater, but I'd always been really interested in it because for me, acting in theater was about, you know, there's a wonderful quote from Shakespeare that talks about art being this mirror to nature. It's holding up the mirror right. to your life. And right. that the idea is like great works of art help us reflect on our own experience and help us understand yeah. Wow, mm -hmm. what am I doing here? And what I found was that as I got into the business of side of the theater world is that I had these wonderful ideals, but getting into doing them, it was harder to do it in real life than it was in my ideals. And what I found somehow through a, a long chain of events that I won't go into now, I ended up getting moving into group facilitation work and training. And what I found was I was actually able to have a greater and more explicit impact on people and people's lives than I could through the kind of artistic metaphor. It's almost like we got less metaphorical and a bit more practical and real. And I just lit me up in a way, and I'm sure you guys can understand this. There's something about when you see the light bulbs go on for people like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Right. You know, I didn't realize that so much, you know, that there is no objective thing called life. Life is constantly filtered through these lenses based on the stories that we have ourselves. And so for me, helping people to understand where they come from, where they are and where they want to go. And then the fact is, you know, this human, people have been on this planet for a long time. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned from those that came before us. And so I really see my work is trying to help package those up, those lessons that have been, you know, timeless for thousands of years. And but make them practical for people today and tomorrow. Cause just in the same way that we've all had to learn things along the way, whether that was learning how to walk, learning how to read, we need to learn how to lead. We need to learn how to influence ourselves and others if we want to live a life of happiness and a life of meaning and purpose. Yeah, it's so interesting that you, you express that in, in a sense of learning from history, right? Understanding what preceded us to get to the point that we're at today. And yet the current times are changing so quickly. 
that yeah. leadership techniques yeah. and styles have to change with them because yeah. of you know social media and i mean you, we can go down the, the laundry list of how technology has really changed the way we talk to each other communicate manage lead and i'm just curious like what has been some of the the major changes that you've seen over the past five years that have made you have to adapt in some of your leadership techniques oh yeah great question and it's interesting greg because as you say that you know, if we look at the kind of the outer world of leadership has totally changed. I mean, you think about, look, how many people started working from home in the last two years, right. for example, right. right? And just like, we all know what I say, like another Zoom call, like <laughs> five years ago, we weren't all saying another Zoom call, but right, all that stuff, right? So that has all changed, like the surface. But if you go down below the surface, like what are the principles underlying? I actually think those haven't changed a whole lot. And the thing is, what that means is we have to be better at them. And I think, you know, because, yeah, things are changing so fast. And I'm sure you guys are both familiar with the acronym VUCA, right? The volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world that we live in. And I think where leaders need to adapt is because the rules of engagement have changed so much. I mean, you look at so many people, especially over these last couple of years with this pandemic, are questioning, wait, why do I go to work? What am I getting out of this? Am I willing to get in the car and commute an hour each way? Like, <laughs> so, I mean, there's so, so, and people are really questioning, or do I, you know, I thought I needed this and actually we did okay with less. I mean, I've had some people say things like, I didn't realize how much I was missing not having dinner with my kids every night. And I don't want to give that up again because they're not going to be kids that long. So suddenly values are being questioned. And because so some of what I'm seeing is changing, and, and this also has to do with the new generations of you know, the millennials and Gen Z becoming more and more a majority of the workforce, is their demands of and expectations and needs in life and in work are different than they were for us, us old timers, which I include <laughs> myself in that category now. Um, you know, I, and so realizing that if leadership is about influence, you know, when I was coming up and I was just starting in my professional career, if someone said, do this because I said so, I didn't go, I didn't stop and think anything twice of that because that's what people did back then. It was yeah. like, they're the boss and my job was to obey authority and just do that. Whereas you have a lot of these folks who basically were parented differently and were raised differently. And they're like, you know what? I You can't talk to me that way. In fact, I'll quit. I'll move back in with my parents if it's that bad, like whatever it takes. And so, so much has changed in terms of the human psyche, in terms of our expectation of the leader-follower relationship. It used to be much more that leaders could try to create compliance and that was good enough. But now it's really much more about what are you doing to create commitment, you know, because... Mm -hmm. You know, so much of the playing field in terms of technology and automation and algorithms has been leveled so that, you know, ultimately you need everyone at every level to be a self-starter and, and a sort of like their own version of an entrepreneur. And how do they solve problems? How do they help meet your customers' needs? Because if you can't figure those out, your competitors will. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's, it's that agility too, that, that you're kind of talking, like you've got to yeah. like, okay, so Greg's question of, of the last five years, uh, well, yeah, there's been a bunch of change. And, and as leaders, we, we've just had to adapt. We've had to learn, adapt and move on, you know, in, in, to whatever is the next thing that's going to come on that we have to learn and adapt to. 
it, it makes it it makes it difficult uh, sometimes to always be learning. I'm going to ask you a very selfish question here, but I'm going to do it right after we come back. We'll uh, we'll continue the conversation in just a minute. Thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. I noticed a new review this last week too on one of the uh, one of the applications. So please do uh, review us as well. We we watch out for those. We read them. We check them out. So <laughs> do that on whatever app you're uh, listening on right now. That would be fantastic. Okay, so we are talking about leadership, and I mentioned a very selfish question because early on in the show here, I said that well, I'm leading a new group of people. Now I'm not the first leader for these for this group. I'm just the latest leader for this group where I have to step in. And, you know, maybe the last leader and I are completely different. Maybe our styles are completely different. And and we've got to approach this group. Now, we did a show, uh, actually a couple of shows on acquiring a business. And, you know, that too, you've got to adapt to, and, and, you know, again, be agile to whatever this new group that you're going in to start leading has, has learned from previous leaders and, and their styles. How do you get into a situation like that and be successful? You bring up such, that's a really good, wonderful, selfish, and juicy selfish. <laughs> um, very juicy. And here's why I think it's so juicy. It's because what you're hitting on is basically how us as human beings, how we learn. Because if you think about it, we basically are always drawing on previous experience when we're comparing exactly. something new. So like yeah. you said, like I did this first stand up meeting and they're comparing you to the previous boss that they had as it were. And so I think the question to ask is, you know, when, when you in, are in a situation like that is like what we generally forget is that's the elephant in the room. The fact is people have learned from whatever experience and they're carrying all that baggage with them. And I think a lot of new leaders get in these roles and they just go like, all right, here's where I am. Instead of time out, you've got baggage. I've got baggage. Let's all take our bags. Let's put them up on the table, turn them over and dump them out and talk about what are your expectations? Tell me what you like. Tell Mm -hmm. me what you hate. Tell me what works. Tell me what doesn't work. And I'll tell you from my perspective what I like, what I don't like, what works, what doesn't work. Because we're working with adults and adults can handle the truth. And otherwise you pretend like it's not there. And, you know, I'm always amazed by how many people end up, first of all, how many people end up in leadership roles because they were really good performers and they went like, Oh, Hey Russ, you know, you're really, you're a good salesman. We're going to (laughs) make you the sales manager. The the Peter principle, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the total thing. And so Mm -hmm. now you're there and you're going to, okay, I have to lead now. Crap, what do I do? And so you pull on your repertoire of what you know from your own history. And most people go back to their earliest memories of leadership, which usually is their families of origin. They're like, oh, I get it. The leader is in power. So my job is to tell you what to do. And your job is basically to do it. And maybe I have to say, shut up and do it, right? <laughs> and and this is the kind of the old school, I call it, in my book, I call it the old school leadership, you know, command and control. It's the commander in chief. I'm in charge and my job is to tell you what to do. And that's fine until it's not. And now we live in a generation where it's not working anymore. Right, right You know, right. That, that worked fine when the work was go to this assembly line and put this widget and you're going to do the same job every day, every month, every year, and it's not going to change. We didn't expect you to do a whole lot of thinking. 
How many right. people do you know have jobs that are mindless, repetitive jobs? All those jobs have been automated or outsourced and they're gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we need people. So, you know, so I think what we need to do as leaders is we have to basically, I say, and I must say this twice a week, is that, you know, people are good at many things, but reading minds is not one of them. <laughs> and so I tell as leaders, we have to make our implicit assumptions explicit. So if you want people to act a certain way, if you want to create a certain kind of norm or environment or culture to work together, you've got to be really clear and overt about it and say, I need that. This is about us working together. So you're using words like us and we. So in yeah. fact, one of, one of the things mm -hmm. I always like to check with leaders is the pronoun test. So do leaders talk about I and me, it's my team, I need my people to do this, or is it we, us, right. the team? Because that gives you a mm -hmm. real window into the how they see the world. Do you see other people as task getter dunners? <laughs> right? Like you're a task getter dunner, you know, you're a box in my org chart. And it's amazing how much of our organizational language still is held over from those old industrial age days of command and control where, you know, this whole org chart stuff was designed by a group of mechanical engineers. And I mean, think about human resources and think about that term for a second. Isn't that weird? It's like, wait, we have resources. We've got, we've got steel, we've got concrete, we've got electricity, <laughs> and right. we've got, human, we got humans, humans. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh -huh. and the idea is like, oh, this human resource isn't working out. We'll swap it out with a new one. And that was the idea is that the parts were interchangeable. And the funny thing about it, and you think about how much of that language, like I'm sure you've heard the expression, like, yeah, we got to drill this message down to the front lines. Like how many people on the front lines have thought, gee, you know what I really miss is that, you know, senior management hasn't drilled anything into me. Lately. <laughs> I really miss that. Right. You know, and so we got to realize, I mean, I think we are now, and the fact is the pandemic just accelerated, accelerated this, I think, is that we are moving into the age of working with humans. It's like you have to realize you're working with humans, like and human beings, flesh and blood, who which is why well-being, it was always a need, but now it's super front right. and center. It's like well-being is important because humans, if they are not taken care of, they can't perform at their best. And there's tons of research and science, and I write about this too, that when we don't, when we can't show up and be our best, we can't give the best that we possibly can. And so it turns out that treating people like humans is actually really good for business. Yeah, it's it's amazing when when Greg and I first started the show. Greg, <laughs> did you think we were going to do a show about mental health? Because I mean, really, our show is it's business, it's mental health, it's psychology. Like that, that's really where where we land on on every single episode. And my guess is, if you know, well, we wouldn't have been doing a podcast in the eighties. I guess an AM radio show. <laughs> if we were doing an AM radio show in the eighties, we would not have been talking about that. It would have no, been a completely no, different thing. And the answer to your question, I, I definitely thought we would be talking about mental health, but more my mental health than, <laughs> than anything else. That's the after show. <laughs> that, that, that usually is the after show. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think what, what you're kind of getting to is, you know, the leaders need to kind of get into the right mindset now to yeah. lead this generation and with the technology and everything. And you have, you have a term that you use, a facilitative mindset. And I just wanted you to kind of expand on that because I, I've, when I was studying and researching, you know, your beliefs and your concepts and what, what you're training, I was really fascinated by this. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Yeah. So if you think about the word facilitate, right, it comes from the French or Latin word like facile, which means easy, right? And you think about 
If you ever bring in an outside facilitator to facilitate your meeting, the goal is that they're going to help you to navigate this process. And if you think about life and work as a process is what we don't really need as a commander in chief, like the old school commander in chief is like, I'm the commander in chief. I have all the answers. I have the power. You do what I tell you. I, I'm the expert. That's not the world we live in, right? Everyone who has access to a laptop and an internet cable has as much information as you do. So it's not about you having things, having all the answers and doling it out. It's more of a question of, think of it as you're the, sort of like the, the hub of the wheel, but you're what you're trying to do is move information from where it is to where it needs to be and kind of create an environment where people show up energized, enthusiastic, ready to collaborate and give their best. And so the idea of the facilitative mindset, it's a set of beliefs and behaviors that makes achieving performance goals easier. And that you as the leader see your role is I'm here to serve my people so they can do their best work because when they do their best work, they can get their best results. And guess what? If my role as a leader is measured on the results of my team, when they do great work, I've done great work. Exactly. But, for, but the, the kind of the asterisk that goes along with this entire metaphor of the facilitative mindset is that to do that, to let go of the commander in chief and step into the facilitator in chief, to step into being that servant leader. You've got to be, I call it maturity. It's mature enough to park your ego aside because it's not about you. It's about mm -hmm. helping the team. And for some of us, that's really hard to do. Mm. It's really hard, for example, to slow down and realize that, you know, because a lot of our companies, like I'm sure you guys have seen this, our company values are things like bias for action or drive for results. I mean, I get it. I, I, and I'm not anti-business and anti-results in any way. However, like driving for results shouldn't mean driving over those people that are trying to work so hard to deliver <laughs> to those results. Get the results, right? right? You know, yeah. yeah. So it's it's so it's like these are paradoxes. Like there's a time and a place to go fast. There's a time and a place to go slow. And so the facilitative mindset is really about helping people do things smarter, right? And again, no one wakes up and thinks I'm trying to work stupid today. I'm trying to lead stupid today. <laughs> we we just do because we fall into these old patterns of behavior because we never stop to question the old ways of doing stuff. And I think sometimes we do those stupid things because we were never really taught that it was stupid. Or no. in, in, in a lot of cases where we're talking about kind of the old school methods of leading, it's that it worked for a certain period of time, but they just didn't transition. They didn't adapt as, yeah. as Russ was saying yeah. earlier, but nobody taught them to adapt. Yeah. Right. They just kept doing what yeah. kind of worked for them. And then it started working a little less for them, but they didn't realize that the results were diminishing because of their leadership style possibly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, once they realize that they go, Oh, that's that aha moment. That's the light bulb going off where somebody, you know, makes them aware that, Hey, this is why I'm not getting the results that I used to get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say that's true, Greg, to the point where if people are willing to look at it, because I think you also on the other side of things is you have leaders who may not be getting the results they could be, but they're getting good enough results that to change their stuff. They're also kind of living in the spotlight. They're getting the power, the perks. Like, why would I change? Right. So some of my research found that only about 23 percent of people believe their leaders lead well overall, only 23 percent, which means 77 percent don't. Right. So 
And of course, how many of those 77% would actually admit that to their leader? I would say very few because admitting it in many organizations would be considered a career limiting move, right? right. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not safe to speak up and say, you know what, actually, Atlanta, you kind of suck as my leader. Like, <laughs> no, I, you know, because leaders have, so that's one of the things that gets in the way. So this whole sense of the willingness to park your ego and humility, it's hard. This yeah. is hard. That's why I use the word maturity because you right. got to really grow up to do this well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, and actually I'll, I'll throw this out there. I know I always talk about improv. I'm sorry, Greg. Um, I'm trying to get you to join me on my classes, but I, I, I've done improv for, for years. Right. And the whole thing, one of the the big principles is don't make yourself look great, make your partner look great. And guess what? That whole scene becomes great. Right. And this is, this is exactly what you're saying. I dealt with the leader one time where I kept using the word we, because I love that word when I'm talking about, I, Mm -hmm. I never talked about when I was talking about something, you know, that my team did, or even if, if, even if it was just me, I said, we, you know, yeah. we did this because it made all of us look good. It made everybody feel good. Like they don't, you know, not, not, sometimes the team doesn't even know who had the whole role in that. And when you say we, it's inclusive, it's bringing them all in and it just, you know, oh, he's bragging about this. He's going to brag about the next thing. <laughs> he's going to yeah. talk up that next thing. And, it, and it's, it's, it's just makes you feel so good. But I had a leader one time that literally stopped me. This is a long time ago. Stopped me and said, well, no, no, no. That was you that did that. Not, not we, not your team. It was you. I'm like, I, I don't need the credit. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. You may know that they don't know that. Like we don't need to, to do that type of thing where yeah. we're going to, you know, call out and make that change. That, that bugged me. I don't, I don't think that person's leading anymore. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's good. Well, it's that question of, are they, who's keeping score, right? And exactly. are we keeping score? Keeping score on the right things. You know, yeah. one of the things I, lo- I love you said there, Russ, about improv too, is that it isn't about me looking good. It's about me- how do I make my partner look good? And I'd say the key in improv and in leadership to doing that is intense focus and listening, right? You have to listen oh, yeah. to them. So like know where they are, meet them where they're at and take them from where they are to where this could possibly go, which is a very different type of listening. I call it listening with purpose, which mm-hmm. is very different from the way most people listen, right? Most people listen to respond. Most people listen to interrupt and like get my point across or to shut the conversation down. So this whole idea of opening up in your listening is a totally huge game changer for a lot of folks. Yes, and you learn something as well. Uh, when you're when you're listening, you don't you don't learn when you're talking. You you learn when you're listening. All right, uh, you know what? I, I I talked about the three secrets, and I, I talked about that earlier in the show. Um, but now I'm going to do the Ryan Seacrest thing and make people wait for it. So uh, we'll hear what those three secrets are when we come back. Thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. We're a part of the Best Business Network. If you haven't been over to the Best Business Network website yet, it's fantastic. We built a fantastic site that uh, uh, we put together there that has all the various podcasts. We've got other podcasts on leadership. Uh, We've got podcasts. It's amazing. I'm not going to tell you about each and every one of those podcasts because uh, then I'll talk about one and I won't talk about on this one and it'll all be bad and somebody will be mad at me. So I'm not going to do that. You just go to the website, check them all out. 
they're all fantastic. I subscribe to all of them, and, and so should you. Uh, we're also a part of Electrocast Media. There's another website for you to go check out, electrocast.com, with various other podcasts, other networks, including sports. Yes, there's a sports network over there, which is fantastic. Okay, uh, we are talking about leadership, and we – oh, wow, okay. Three secrets to building strong leaders is – is our next topic here. This is your book. And I know we can't spill all the secrets from the book, but what are the three secrets? Oh, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> uh. That's that's not very, that wasn't very inclusive. Don't do that. I need it for one more show. <laughs> one more show. So the three secrets to building strong. I want to tell you this by way of a story, um, okay. actually. Perfect. So I was working, I was working with a, a company. It's actually a, a national US-based retail franchise. And I was working with their district manager. So I got to interview a bunch of the district managers before I was going to speak at their conference. And I met this guy named Matt. And when I met Matt, Matt was the number one top performing district manager out of all 100. And I said, Matt, that's really quite impressive. Have you always been such a high performing ma manager and leader? He said, uh, no, actually, when I first got promoted from being a store manager to a district manager, the first few years, I was ranked like in the low 80s, not good for quite some time. I said, oh, Matt, there's, there's a story here. Tell me what changed. He said when he first got promoted, he thought his job as the district manager, and going back to our ego stuff from earlier, he thought his job was to be the fixer. Like, I'm the fixer in chief. Like, this is my job. So every morning, he would get a printout. They call it the hot list. It's basically a printout of all their KPIs, right? Their key performance indicators. Okay. And, and basically what they would do, he would look at his KPIs. So he had nine stores that he was overseeing as district manager. And he'd first thing, he'd look for what was in red and not measuring up. And he'd circle the things that were in red. And he'd hop in his car and he'd drive from store to store and tell the store managers, you got to fix this. You see this? You got to fix it. You got to do this. Do this differently. And he that was his strategy, he said, for the first couple of years. He said, <laughs> he said he was working so hard and he was struggling and he was going nowhere. Yeah. And he finally had like his personal day, you know, those hit bottom days where like, I can't do this anymore. He was like, and he realized the worst day was the day he realized there were people on a team that were quitting and he didn't even know what their names were. It's kind of churning mm. through staff on the team. Yeah. Like, I can't do it this way anymore. So he asked for some help from some of the other district managers and he changed his approach. And so what he started doing, and it, it took him a little time to get through this, but he started doing is he started going in. You know, and he'd still have the hot list printed out. And he'd go into the store manager. Where he'd say, "Hey, Greg, how was your weekend? How's your family?" Or like he'd, some, he'd find some personal connection with them first, and they would talk. But and then he'd take out the hot list, and instead of saying, "This is wrong, Greg, you got to fix this," he'd say, "Here's the data. What do you think's going on? What do you think we should do?" And they would work together. To then they'd come up with solutions together, and that's when his numbers started to rise and rise. And what Matt told yeah. me, he said, he said he realized the key to making the numbers was to stop focusing on the numbers, but instead to start first by focusing on the people because it was the people that were hitting the numbers. And once he did that, everything shifted. He said the best part was that now at number one, his life and his team's life is so much less stressful than it was when he was in the 80s. And so the three secrets that Matt's story demonstrates, the first is connection. The fact is, no matter what industry you're in, whether you're in pharmaceuticals or manufacturing or high-tech or anything, you're in, you're in the human being business, which means that you have to connect with other human beings because we know from the research too, is that when humans are connected to, they are so much more able to engage and give their best. I mean, it, you know, it's the old cliche, but it's true, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So that's a connection. Right. Mm -hmm. The second secret 
is around communication. So what Matt did is he shifted instead of just thinking that communication was me telling you what to do is instead what he was seeking was common understanding. And the reason that understanding is so critical is because communication and understanding becomes the platform on which you make all decisions. So if you have a solid platform of understanding, you make great decisions, you get good results. If you have a shoddy platform that's tippy, you know, it's falling apart, you're going to make poor decisions, you're going to get poor results. So that's the second secret. We got connection, we got communication. And the last one is the recognition that you as a leader create an environment that people can either thrive in or just survive. And so it is about collaboration. So what are you doing to make sure that your people have their fundamental needs met? And the needs that I looked at in the research was that everyone has a need to feel safe, right? That's both physically safe and obviously psychologically safe. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a need to be able to show up and give energy, right? We can all think of there are work environments where we're energized and there are work environments that we're drained. Your example earlier, Russ, about the stand-up meeting, you know, that's an example of you going, I know something that's going to shift this energy. Here's a technique, right? That's about energy. Right. So we've got safety, energy. The third thing is around ownership. No one loves a micromanager. People want to get a sense that they have some freedom and autonomy. They may not be able to choose what they're doing, but they want some freedom and latitude of how they go about doing it. And the fourth piece around collaboration has to do with purpose. People will give more and be more when they feel like they are connected to something bigger than themselves, that what they do really matters. So that it isn't just we're doing a job. What's the point? What's the bigger reason why? Because like anyone who has ever raised kids and got up at three in the morning to deal with a sick kid or a crying child knows you don't feel like it, but you don't care because it's not about you. And so it's that it's that overarching sense of purpose is yeah. what gets you through that night. So mm-hmm. the three secrets of building strong leaders, connection, communication, and collaboration. You know, we, we talk to a lot of business owners that have organizations that are fairly large. Let, let's say yeah. more than 200 people, you know, 200 yeah. to 1,000 people. And, mm-hmm. and they would, you know, they struggle with the challenge of, you know, how do they have that connection with, you know, 500 people, 400 people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we've realized is you can't, you know, realistically, but you can have a connection to whoever you're talking to at that moment. Yeah, you can you can be in the moment, you can have them be in the moment and you can really communicate and connect with them at that very time. And that has a lasting effect where even though you may not be talking to them every week or every month, but they still feel they're a part of the organization and a part of the movement that you're trying to accomplish. And and I think that that's the point of these leadership techniques is, you know, it may be somebody that you don't work with every day. It could be somebody at a management level or, you know, at at a lower level, but you, you still need to lead and instill these fundamentals in them. So they feel they're a part. And I I think if, if everybody kind of gets that message, you know, we all become better. So true, Greg. And I think there's a couple pieces to unpack with that. Number one is, yeah, I think any moment and every moment you have this opportunity to create connections. So an example, I had a mentor who said, you know, one of his favorite things to do in terms of job interviews, when he interview somebody, they would, you know, this is pre-pandemic days, they'd go out for lunch and he would watch how did they treat the wait staff, right? Mm-hmm. Because how you treat anyone 
is how you treat everyone. So did they treat the waitstaff like a hired hand? Or did they actually stop and make a personal connection with them? So that's one piece. The other thing I'd say too is it's hard, like if you have a, an organization of 500 people, so you can be wonderfully connecting and human. The other thing that I think that misses for a lot of leaders is, let's say your direct reports don't do that as well as you do. And maybe you notice that, you have to be willing to call them out and give them good feed feedback, basically, like, hey, you know, what I noticed here was you didn't really connect with them that, because basically a culture will only evolve to the point that leaders will make sure that both on the one hand, they are modeling the behavior, but the other hand is also, what are you not willing to tolerate? Because if there's stuff that's going on that is just kind of mediocre, lukewarm, and you're not saying something about that, that means that everyone else thinks it's okay. And that I think is the harder challenge for a lot of leaders is the willingness to kind of have the courage to speak up. And it's not like, hey, you can't, you know, you have to, you know, people, they're doing their best, but like they just, they've probably never gotten the feedback of, you know what, you need to lean in a little bit more. Like, you know, you realize that person on your team just came by and you never said hello or thank you. Like those little micro moments yeah. make a difference. Mm -hmm. How do we teach as, as a leader, how, how do we teach somebody to, to be able to be okay with giving us feedback that are like to let them realize, Hey, my, my ego is checked. Let me know. Cause earlier you had said something about, you know, Oh, well, you know, as a leader, you suck. I would actually love to have that feedback because yeah. <laughs> then, then I would actually know, engage like, okay, for this person, I am not a good leader and I need to make these changes. What do I need to do? Like, yeah. how do you get people to give you that type of feedback? Well, it's interesting, right? Because you say you would love to get that feedback. And my, I would assume you would love that feedback from someone that you felt safe with. You probably wouldn't love that feedback True. from someone who didn't feel, right? So yeah. the first thing I have to do is we have to, first of all, make feedback a regular part of our everyday life. That isn't some special thing that we reserve for holidays and performance reviews, right? <laughs> we have to actually make this and that there's some simple tools. I mean, and I teach this stuff. I mean, I come in and do workshops around where we teach the facilitative leadership, the facilitative mindset. And through this, we kind of, and it's all about the modeling of it so that people realize that actually feedback is this gift. And, but people need to see it modeled on this consistent, regular basis. And the key to great feedback is specificity. I have to, when I'm giving feedback, I am watching like a hawk and I might have like a full page of notes but I don't necessarily give the full page because I know that's going to overwhelm. So I have to learn how to calibrate what level of feedback am I giving? What am I holding back from? Am I asking you to give yourself some feedback first and why that's important? I mean, there's a whole process to doing that. And that's what we have to do to create this feedback rich culture. It's not something that we just, oh, you know, I can just do it. It's something that has to be learned. And so like mm -hmm. anything else, it's something that you have to learn over time. Yeah. I think the other thing is that you have to know your audience. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you know, Rush, you use the example like you suck. Right. You could say that to some people because that's the way they want to hear it. But you definitely right. can't right. say that to other people because that would not go over well. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, you know, part of, you know, good communication is understanding who your audience is and, and yeah. you know, communicating in the words and gestures that will be received well by mm -hmm. whoever you're speaking to or the group that you're speaking with, right? It's, yeah. So that's a that's a piece of the communication plan that some people ignore, right? They're going to talk to the they're going to talk to everybody the exact same way. 
and it'll it'll hit home for some people and it'll totally miss for other people. But if they yeah. don't get it, they're, they're just going to get what they get. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, completely, Greg. And I think to add to that, I mean, look at where we are at as a society, as a culture. And I think it's you look at just the, the huge explosion and in interest around work of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. I think it's even more important around like in terms of thinking about knowing your audience, like really knowing your audience. And, you know, I'm a white guy, so I, and there's nothing I can do about that. And I have to learn to become more sensitive to where I fall into unconscious bias, right? And where have I done things that have hurt people? And where might I have, you know, committed a microaggression? You know, I do some work on, on that stuff with folks now. And it's not about being perfect, but it's about opening up those conversations. And that's a whole other piece of this around, you know, people only will feel safe if they feel included. Um, and there are things that we do that either make them feel included or will exclude them. And, you know, some of my research, I found that there's this really interesting study from Deloitte found that like 61% of U.S. employees feel the need to cover a part of their identity in some way. They don't feel safe being fully themselves, whether that has to do with gender or sexual mm -hmm. orientation or age. I mean, there's so many different aspects to this or ableism. There's so many things that people don't feel comfortable with. And so for anyone who's listening, if you ever have felt like you've had to like put on some kind of a mask and or cloak because you couldn't be yourself, you know what I'm talking about. So this is another whole piece to the puzzle. I mean, and I think we're just going to need to see more of that and what I love about, you know, and I've had some people like, oh, come on, this is all like a bunch of PC, politically correct stuff. You think about where this is all coming from, it's coming from empathy. I mean, like yeah. when you think about how really the basis mm -hmm. of all this is that, you know, you know, I like I, I, to joke about this. You think about the fact that like when the United States was founded, you know, we had this constitution, right? All this stuff like all men are created equal. Well, at the time when they said all men are created equal, what they meant were all the white, you know, right. privileged, rich yeah. white men mm -hmm. is what they meant. And so what we're really doing is taking and we're, we're trying mm -hmm. to move further and further toward these ideals of when we say all people are welcome and included, we really mean all people. And there's a lot of people who have been marginalized for a long time. So anyway, that's a little bit on the soapbox on that piece. But I think it's, it's I think it's important to, to, to throw that into the mix because that's something that I think leaders are going to need to continue to sharpen their sensitivity to for. And again, not because someone said you should if you do it, like, because I think I have to, you're not going to really want to do it as opposed right. to it's actually really good for business and you're going to have a much better time doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that that's one of the things where, you know, I mean, Greg and I, we worked together for, what, 13 years or so. I, I think I keep changing that number. I don't know if it was 12 or 13, but uh, we'll go with we'll go with 13. It, it felt like 12, Greg. If you wait um, a year, you can change again. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it's like we got to know each other so well. We also got to know the team so well. And, you know, we, we got to the point of where I feel like you know, we could pretty much say anything to each other, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's where we got. And it's, and it's like, it takes time, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I mean, it took us a long time before we felt that comfortable and it's like, and uh, 10 burritos and 10 burritos and 10 yes. burritos, burritos always like that, that actually, I think <laughs> that made it go a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, we could talk about food. Uh, it's about time food came up in this episode. Um, we should have one of those little bingo games where, you know, at what minute did food come up? Usually it's minute one. So it's surprising we made it this far. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Alon, if, if someone wanted to uh, reach out to you, utilize your services or even get your book, how do, how do they do that? Sure. Easiest place to go is to my website, which is www.alaihunkins. I'll spell that A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com. Uh, while you're there, you can uh, actually download, if you go to resources, the book, you can download the first chapter of the book. You can sign up for my monthly leadership newsletter. I also have some various open offerings that go on a few times a year. And feel free to also connect with me on LinkedIn. And since you've listened this far along in the podcast, you can be part of my special end of the podcast club. You can email me directly directly at Alain, A-L-A-I-N, at AlainHunkins.com. Awesome. Really? Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, guys. Yeah, really thank you so pleasure. much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. And thank you for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, a part of the Best Business Network and Electrocast Media. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you might want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I want your company to succeed, and we are happy to take your questions. We would love to hear your suggestions for future episodes. If there's an area where you need solid business advice or help, let us know. Just head over to our website site, DIYforbusinesspodcast.com. There's a link to that in the podcast description as well. We also love talking to business owners. So if you're a business owner and you want to talk to us on the show, happy to do so. You can join us for an episode and we can learn more about your business. We thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Hi, I'm Gina Ann, your tour guide to Adventures to Wisdom podcast. What if you could get answers to your deepest question, reawaken your sense of purpose, and enhance your zest for connections and play? This is what we do on Adventures to Wisdom podcast with real people, and we're inviting you to come with us. We bring you unscripted, raw, inspirational stories, ideas, and intuitive insights. Electric Acid. Hello, I'm Polly Campbell, the host of Polly Campbell's Simply Said, the weekly podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And let me tell you what, we tap into the great minds of authors, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and so much more so that we can learn how to do the work that matters and create the lives we want to live. Join us right here on Polly Campbell's Simply Said on the best business network of Electricast. Electricast. Yeah.